this is Holden's calling in life. He should have been a film critic because his review of this film, which he hates, was, it was so putrid I couldn't take my eyes off it. <laughs> and this, the second one is, don't see it if you don't want to puke all over yourself. <laughs> <laughs> He's just sort of like, I'm walking here, yeah. Yeah, because the streets of New York, they're about bleakness. And I'm like, no, they're not. They're about horrifying knife crime and gun crime. <laughs> One for the tourist board. Hello and welcome to part two of Charlotte Royal's coverage of The Catcher in the Rye. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. And uh, we are moving through this book at a pace, which, Dave, you may be pleased about because <laughs> you're <laughs> massively happy with it. Uh, I, I, it's fair to say last time uh, I... I, I I kind of slouched through it like a teenager with a bad case of the sulks, but I'm, I'm this time I'm I'm hopeful for better things. We'll see. Right, well, yeah, maybe this this part has changed your mind. But reading from chapters uh, twelve to twenty today, and uh, the first bit may as well go straight in. The first bit is uh, when we last left Holden, he's wandering around New York trying to find something to do with his time to take his mind off his his crushing loneliness, and. Um, so we're back with him at New York City in the middle of the night. He gets a taxi. He's getting a taxi to this place uh, called Ernie's, which is a musician's bar. It's like a pianist bar. Yeah. And uh, he gets this taxi with this taxi driver called, uh, what was it, Horwitz. Yeah, yeah. And and they have this long, grambling conversation about whether... D- Holden has this real sort of problem with trying to work out where the ducks go. Um, when it gets really cold, who, when they normally by the pot, uh, by the lake in Central Park, uh, yeah, what did you read yeah. into this conversation? It's weird. I mean, I, so I mean, there's definitely a kind of literary marf 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 kind of thing going on here. That's the technical mm. term for it, where where an author kind of goes, "I'm going to write something that appears to be about something, but is actually very strongly about something else," because I'm really smart. Mm. Um, and so I think he's writing here about, you know, Holden himself is wandering around New York in the cold where he really shouldn't be. And, you know, where where do you go when the places that you consider home are no longer accessible to you? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and fair enough. There's a little bit of a kind of chime there. Um, I just thought it was really funny the way he's really fixated on these ducks. Like <laughs> it kind of it kind of fell for me a little bit outside the um, the sort of. I don't know, realism, I suppose. Because he's trying really hard to be realistic when he writes this book, J.D. Salinger. You know, it's mm. all the vaguely realistic-sounding dialogue and all of that. And, um, and you know, Holden Colfield's certainly no matinee hero. But then he talks about ducks for, like, a page and a half. Mm. It's very, very odd. What did you make of it? Uh, yeah, I suppose. I mean, it's a bit of a typical sort of wandering mind of a teenager, uh, it, it is a bit odd that he rambles on about ducks yeah. for so long. Um, I thought yeah, it yeah. was it, it was all tied up in um, the sort of subjects of it was about privilege, and um, he oh. be, because sort of th- th- these ducks go somewhere and he's wondering where they go. Um, you know what what will they find that's uh, yeah. better and all this, and he's all concerned about them. And the taxi driver gets really angry, and he says, you know. 
what about the fish? And, and uh, he said, oh, the fish are fine. They're, they're fine. They stay where they are. They're fine. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, as if to say, you know, you don't have to leave to find something better. Um, oh, interesting. I don't know. I just got a bit of a, I just got a bit of a tension in that respect in this sort of conversation. Do you know what? I absolutely hadn't thought of that. Thank you. That has, that has illuminated this little bit for me because it was obviously been the first chunk of the thing. It's what I opened up first and my mind kind of tuning in was a bit like, all right, catch her in the right. Come on. Hmm. Uh, he's talking about ducks in a taxi. What the? Tr- I just, I just instantly sort of like, oh, oh, compelling prose, is it? Um, so I didn't really get the point. But that is actually, I think that's a really, really good point. There's this kind of like he's fixated on what he's fixated about, and it is compassionate to a certain extent. But when he's asked about, you know, something else, he's kind of like, oh, I don't fucking care. You know, he's kind of hmm. he, he's he's interested only up to the point that he's chosen to be interested. Um, I did yeah. also like the idea that he's like, what, the fish, they just get frozen in the ice, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just love that idea. And I would just, you know, you just live the entire winter in your house and it's filled with polystyrene and you can't move. It's fine, it's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's another way of looking at it. It might not be right, but... Um, no, I, no, I think the... there's something there. It's definitely definitely better than mine, my duck equals Holden theory. And probably says a lot more about J.D. Salinger as a good writer than I'm willing to give him. So, carry on. Well, we, we get to Ernie's and um, we sort of watch, sit with Holden as he's, he's watching Ernie go at it on the piano. He's obviously a guy with quite a lot of talent, although um, Holden says that he, he, he gets, you know, Ernie is so famous now and he's known for being so good that no matter how well or badly he plays, he gets the same kind of response anyway. So he thinks he just sort of <laughs> he doesn't try as hard anymore. Which is quite funny. Yeah, that's and quite insightful as well. I quite liked this little bit with Holden kind of being like because I, I, it didn't. Ironically, it didn't feel. Ironically, given how much contempt I've had for Holden so far in this book, it kind of didn't feel like he was being a hipster about it. He wasn't. Hmm. He wasn't kind of going like, "Oh no, I knew him when he used to really try." You know, these days he's just phoning it in. The early albums were the best. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> Um, and and it didn't really strike me as being that. It struck me as being a more sort of appreciation for music, kind of like, like yeah, I just I used to love it when you could really feel him stretching every sinew to be fantastic, and now yeah. you can't feel that. And you know he's clearly quite sad about that. Um, yeah, I also I really like the idea that um, that I just had when you were talking, where, uh, where it's like you reckon he could get away with not playing very much. I would love a scene where Ernie just kind of walks up to the piano, flicks everybody the V's, and then just hits middle C for ten minutes. <laughs> That'd just be amazing. Just uh, just a performer with total contempt for their audience. I'm a genius. I'm a genius. Bong bong bong. <laughs> Yeah, he does that, and then at the end, he just stops and t- just greets it with rapturous applause. And people, it's a genius, <laughs> yeah, it, it? <laughs> Everybody in the room is like, "Oh my god, it's like it's like John Cage's four minutes twenty eight <laughs> seconds, except with middle C. He's blown my mind." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, you could imagine that happening in this kind of place, I suppose. Um, yeah. uh, so uh, Holden notices what's going on either side of him. He's got these two couples. On one side, there's uh, there's this couple who apparently there's this fairly ugly girl, it seems, and um, and she's got to sit and listen to this really boring bloke drone on about this and that. 
and he feels sorry for her. But on the other side, there are these two really beautiful, sort of ideal young couple. This guy from sort of uh, some sort of university looks really rich, and um, and he's he's even more repulsive because he's telling her about this friend of his who's tried to commit suicide all the time trying to feel her up under the table and he just he's just holding this thing how disgusting yeah yeah and with good reason there i think like i i find it yeah. really interesting that it's this like i can't actually think this is an interesting little thing like there's been a lot of talk um, kind of uh, in the media, kind of particularly recently, it feels like about not understanding no means no, or, or even better that yes means yes, only yes means yes, kind of stuff in the mm. media. Um, and so I'm struggling to think of books between then and sort of I don't know ten years ago, which really presented the sort of deeply like disgusting really behaviour of the man who's out to score at all costs. You know mm. what I mean? Like, because he's clearly, this guy's aim at this point is to be like, yeah, yeah, my friend commits suicide. Yeah, I'm really sad. Anyway, show us your knickers. <laughs> you know, and it's just, it's, it's just absolutely Bush League stuff. It's just absolutely, like, it's just, it's amateur hour. It's really stupid. And, um, and, and yet, you know, this is clearly the kind of thing that Holden, this is the kind of masculinity that Holden's grown up into. And you can understand him for being like, well, fuck all of that. You know, yeah. There is something I like about Holden in insofar as he, he he does sort of call bullshit on things that are, that are really yeah, yeah, rubbish. You know, and when people are behaving really badly or just sort of it's, it's this idea of phoniness, isn't it? And he's very good at yeah. Uh, yeah. calling that out. Yeah, for all that I mock him for the use of that word, like it was the best word for, for use at the time, and he does. I like his integrity. I like his desire for integrity, I think would be better to say. There's a lot of points throughout the book where he does stuff that even he says, that's not really like me, or I don't really like to do that. And he does lie a lot, you know? Hmm. But um, yeah. but he still, you know, he, he I think he recognises that he's failing a certain standard there. Hmm. Um, he also meets this woman called Lillian Simmons, who's a, sort of a friend of his older brother's. And uh, she comes over and speaks to him, and he decides that she's only speaking to him because uh, she's interested in what's going on with his brother, which is kind of probably true. Um, yeah, yeah. It seems like it's, there's, there's a sense of this false, uh, uh, false friendliness there, isn't it? And again, he yeah. he sort of sees through that as well. Uh, sometimes with these, it's either he's seen through this kind of thing, or because we're all seeing it through his eyes, he's just projecting it all into the world, and he sees everybody as out, sort of being phony anyway but I think yeah. for the most part he calls it right for me yeah I agree with that although that whole little distinction between is he really seeing what he says he's seeing is he not you know that thing is kind of feels a little bit I think maybe that's a weakness of the book where it's kind of trying to have its cake and eat it it's trying to talk about things that are absolutely in the world as the author sees them and but trying to put it in the voice of this extremely fallible narrator and I'm not certain that it pulls off. Like, that whole little kind of confusion comes between me and the kind of thing you were just saying, where, like, I really do want to see the book calling out those things. And I'm kind of not, because I'm not... Because it's been very well established that I can't really trust Holden as a narrator. Hmm. 
Hmm. Well, we, we head back in chapter 13. He decides to walk back to the hotel. He's beginning to run out of money here, which is one reason. And the mm. other is there's still nothing to do and he's not that tired. So it's mm. 41 blocks and he walks back in the middle of the night. Um, which he could, you, have, you, you know. have you ever been to New York? Yeah. Did you walk many blocks when you went there? Yeah, it's pretty big. <laughs> it's pretty, there's just something really depressing about trying to walk that sort of a distance in a winter night. Do you know, like, that's, yeah. that's a long fucking way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he says about New York at night. I think this was maybe, it's either this chapter or the, or the one before. He says it's terrible at night uh, because of all these sort of echoing footsteps and how quiet it is. Um, and I just thought that's very yeah. of its time because that, that's not New York anymore, is it? That, at any time. I was going to say that. Echoing footsteps. <laughs> I also think one of the things that, that really kind of dates this book is the fact that he wanders around New York. We had this last time with his luggage where he left it outside the, the, um, the telephone kiosk and it didn't get nicked. Um, mm. And he wanders around New York and never once is he like kind of waiting to get stabbed or stuck up or whatever it is. <laughs> like he's just sort of like, I'm walking here. Yeah. Yeah. Because the streets of New York, they're about bleakness. And I'm like, no, they're not. They're about horrifying knife crime and gun crime. What are you talking about? <laughs> One for the tourist board. <laughs> Do you know, then they're still not returning my calls, Matt. I'm astonished. I don't understand why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I quite like those little touches because it does feel like it places you in this, this part of uh, of history, I suppose, with, uh, with yeah, when yeah. New York was a slightly different place. Um, yeah, can you imagine? For better or worse. Yeah, mm. it I blows my mind. I haven't realised really how much of our understanding of New York has been shaped by that sort of 1970s, 1980s kind of um, Son of Sam kind of um, and like mm. Death Wish kind of vibe where to go into a dark area in New York at night is to come out stabbed or shot, you know? Mm. Uh, he gets back to the hotel and he gets in the lift and there's this, there's this dodgy looking bloke who says, uh, <laughs> he sort of leans over and goes... Interested in a little tale tonight, and and Holden thinks, yeah, why not? Yeah. So he says, yeah, go on then. <laughs> why not? Why he's, not? He's here for new experiences. Yeah, like, and he's been just... he's been going. Sorry, is that go on? No, no, I was just I think I was just about to say the same thing about nine times. I just can't believe he's that stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose he's he's been going on and on about about this. For for ages, doesn't he? Yeah, and uh, and he thinks, you know, try something new. So he says, yeah, sure. It, and it's uh, I think it was fiver for uh, for for like an hour or something. I don't know. So yeah, he sent. Uh, so he, he goes up to his room, and before long, this uh, this blonde girl appears, roughly Holden's age, and uh, mm. comes into the room, takes her dress off, says, right, let's let's get to it. And uh, Holden just sort of wants to talk. <laughs> it's just the uh, very image of lack of romance, isn't it? Right? Yeah. Let's get let's get down to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Holden's almost a bit surprised with that. He's like, um, "Shouldn't we like get to know each other a bit first?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, it, it turns out he stalls for a bit, and he, he can't really go through with it. And he comes out with another of these crazy lies, where he says he's had an operation on his spinal canal. And it's not healed properly. Uh, it's so affecting, this, isn't it? Just just seeing him yeah. kind of flounder 
for um yeah. for you know for kind of feeling you know he 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 wants to feel something he doesn't really know what he wants to feel but he knows what it's mm. not when it happens to him and when this happens he's like oh no 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 spinal surgery yeah yeah sorry and she even says doesn't she she's like what did you call me for if you just had spinal surgery and he's like oh ooh, couldn't tell you um yeah <laughs> you know and he, <laughs> it's not and this whole sequence actually like even before what happens next i actually this might sound a bit weird it really helped me to sympathize with holden a bit more <laughs> yeah um, yeah i agree which is not to say uh, that when I was 17, or indeed at any other age, I had awkward conversations with prostitutes. Um, the conversation's always been quite lively. No, 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 that's not what happened. Um, but, um, but this whole thing, like, you could, I just, for some reason, it helped me see him much more clearly as a really awkward teenager. And I think I've been constantly wanting Holden to kind of be a bit older than he acts. And mm. and and maybe it's that seventeen-year-olds back then were just a bit more immature, but also maybe it's that I'm used to having like older teenagers in media presented as the epitome of what's cool, unless they are the geek stereotype or whatever else, you know. Mm. And actually, Holden's just a much more realistic character, and I'm kind of kicking against that because actually, when was the last time you saw a teen character in fiction who wasn't just supposed to be a function of? traumatic emotion or extreme arrogance mm. and then here's yeah. Holden, Holden Caulfield and I'm like oh this is this is totally different this is wow and maybe that's yeah. why I haven't been responding to him maybe I'm just too much a child of my time um, well I, th- I think there are two things about this episode that really um, help you, help people relate to Holden and, and one is it's, it's a classic example of uh, what teenagers do when they just you get in over your head doing something. You yeah. sort of think you, you think you might know what you're doing. You you start down a path and suddenly you you realise oh crap this is going too far. I don't know how to deal with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and the other thing is it's 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 more of this uh, com- uh, this conflict between trying to be what you think you're supposed to be and being who you are. And holding oh, yeah. is. Um, the thing that comes across in all this stuff when he's thinking about is uh, this girl who he uh, wants to, he appears to be in love with, and any other really interaction he has with any women his age is this, he's quite sensitive and um, sort of in a world where that's not really a plus and there's a certain way you're supposed to behave towards women and a certain way yeah. you're supposed to use women in this time, it seems, in this society. Yeah. And he's not like that, and he and it's him trying to sort of work out what he should be like. And this is a, an example of it. He, 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 he thinks what you're supposed to do is, you know, have a prostitute for the night, and that's just how it is. Uh, but he he's not the kind of person who can do it. And yeah. he's, he's, he's sort of finding that out about himself as he goes, I suppose. Mm. And actually, it makes him like you say, just that much more relatable. Um, because that struggle, I think, like you say, is what being a teenager is kind of about, you know, who you're, who you're supposed to be versus who you are. Um, mm. And never mind that the way he acts is much more kind of emotionally in tune with, I think, slightly more respectful kind of stance towards women. Um, he's just, you know, he's just believable here. He's not kind of putting on a front. He's not being a douche. Mm. And that's... Um, and that's really, really... I really responded to that, actually. Hmm. 
so at the, at the end, uh, nothing else really happens with the prostitute, and he gives her a fiver as was agreed, which you think you know is pretty decent considering you know nothing's really happened. Yeah, and she asks, for, she says, "No, it's uh, it costs ten and he refuses to pay anymore, and she leaves fairly unhappily with five. Yeah, uh, which which seems seems sort of not worth talking about, but will become relevant in the next chapter. <laughs> um, chapter fourteen. So he en- he now starts talking aloud to his dead brother. Um, yeah, as while he's alone, and uh, and he thinks about some of the other people he's uh, he's he's been sort of he's been roommates with and friends he's had. Is this? Uh, sort of in a monologue about religion and Jesus and the disciples and how he he oh, doesn't yeah. like the disciples because they're constantly dragging Jesus down and they, they were never really <laughs> helped him with anything, which is an interesting rereading of the Bible, isn't it? I know. I quite like that as well because I think there's a there is a lot of mileage in reading the disciples as idiots who were chosen anyway but Holden doesn't take it in that direction he's just like no they were fucking morons if I was Jesus I would have told them all to fuck right off and I, <laughs> there's something really beautiful in how forthright he is about that because he's clearly got a very vivid image of who Jesus was and what he was for and then and then he's like why are you with these idiots you fucking tool <laughs> <laughs> and I quite I quite like the idea that he's so full of like he's just had a moment where you know you know masculine pride or his image of masculinity is supposed to have been bruised beyond all recognition and it's clearly been very traumatic because he starts talking to his dead brother but actually he's mm. still kind of thinking about it in this kind of like no but on principle I'm right so I'm going to tell the son of God what he should do <laughs> I just think that's really like isn't that so teenaged you know kind of banging between a spectacular lack of self-confidence and an absurd and unjustified overconfidence, you know, from mm. moment to moment. Yeah, you know, he gets yeah. he gets out he gets outwitted by a prostitute, or he doesn't get outwitted by a prostitute, but you know, he kind of he fails in his masculine test, and and to make up for that, he starts mentally mouthing off at God, and I just think that's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, things are about to get a bit worse uh, as. Uh, the pimp Maurice returns, uh, and did you uh, did you along, think he was called Maurice? Because I just read that and I thought it said Morris, and I was like, I just love the idea of, of a pimp called Morris because <laughs> the pimp called Clive wasn't available. <laughs> no, I imagine it was Maurice with this sort of you know open neck shirt and a hairy oh, chest yeah. and a medallion. Well, as in, some people call me the gangster of love. Some people call me Maurice. <laughs> that <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I mean he comes with this so this Maurice guy comes round to get the rest of the money which he um, now wants to take uh, bursts into the guys bursts into Holden's uh, room and this is the moment where I felt quite worried for Col- Holden and afraid with him it's like he's, he's really over his head now and there's obviously quite a nasty piece of work this guy yeah and um, it's Holden's pretty brave because he refused or stupid depending on what, which way you look at it he refuses to pay up because he says look we agreed five and that's what I gave her you're not getting any more mm. yeah 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 and I, I tell you what I liked here actually is that as this scene kind of goes on he's um, he's crying like he's clearly extremely intimidated and mm. in this situation but he's not backing down from it and there's there's I think there's there is something that felt very true to me in that 
like like I, I I don't know if you ever had this experience of kind of like if somebody was if if there was like if somebody was trying to bully you most of the time you'd just kind of walk away or whatever but a few times you'd be like kind of no fuck it and it didn't really matter what they did you'd still be like no I'm not backing down off of this kind of thing hmm. and um and it never works out well for you but there's just some insane little titanium core of of like I don't know if it's pride or self-respect, probably a mix of the two, where you're just like, mm. no, 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 and you're not smooth, and you're yeah. not cool, and you can't, you're not communicating it clearly, and you're definitely, you're definitely not going to win, but it doesn't matter, because you're going to be, like, fucking right, you know? Mm. And I, I absolutely loved it. And I particularly, this sequence kind of brought me into Holden's character and the way he writes in a way that no other sequence had. Because, you know, he kind of, he just talks about how he's crying and he presents himself very boldly as this kind of unimpressive character and very honestly talks about how unimpressive he is. And I, I responded really well to that. Like, this helped me get a handle on it a bit more, you know? Yeah, and uh, and, and you're right. It, 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 it's, it's funny how he... He is uh, really laid low at this point, but at the same time, he won't he won't give in and yeah. uh, sort of give the guy the satisfaction of of saying, "Oh yeah, I was probably wrong. Take the money." Because I think yeah. a lot of people in this situation, you, the smart thing to do is just. I think it depends on how much money you've got, doesn't it? If it's your last five fiver, I'd say you'd fight for it. If you've got one hundred and fifty quid on you, and it's yeah, you know, just the ch- fuck off. chances of being yeah. beaten up over the case of a fiver, you probably could do it. Yeah, Although, yeah. and that's probably says a lot about you know bravery of character, I suppose. So, yeah, well, um, well and, no, and, but, I, but kind of that's true for everybody, isn't it? That's something quite fundamental about being human. Like survival mm. is an instinct. So, if you need mm. the money to carry on eating, then you'll fight for it far beyond what you would if your survival need is to avoid getting punched. You know, there's a hierarchy mm. of these things, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, although I think there are some people who wouldn't give it up no matter what because it's just not right. That's uh, um, that's absolutely true. Some people on the hierarchy of needs have a little burial chamber marked "fuck off, pal." <laughs> that's mine. <laughs> uh, once uh, so the, the actually what happens here is Maurice uh, roughs Holden up a bit uh, to the point of Holden's lying on the floor thinking he might die from uh, how hard he's been punched in the gut, and actually. Uh, Sonny, the prostitute, calls Maurice off and says, look, we've got the money, because she goes into Holden's wallet and just takes the fiver out anyway, and says, look, we've got the money, come on, let's yeah. just leave. So they go. Yeah. Um, and Holden, obviously, is really, really upset, and then he sort of cheers himself up a bit by retreating into this fantasy as if he's been shot, and he's like a character in a film, and he's, he's got to go and get his gun now and uh, get revenge. And it's not really in a you know, going postal, shooting up the yeah. <laughs> the other work kind of place. It's just this weird little uh, fancy has just to cheer himself up, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, and in a way, isn't it really sad that the last kind of thirty years or so mean that that's now kind of almost touchingly, touchingly innocent, and naive way of talking about getting a gun and shooting somebody who's just disrespected you, because mm, yeah. you know, you know, the epidemic of school shootings in the states over the last several decades just means that actually now if you put that in a book that you wrote today it would be a much darker thing to kind of entertain yeah especially considering this it's wrapped up with these thoughts he has of suicide as well um yeah and he thinks about just chucking himself out the window and he, and the reason that stops him he says is uh he doesn't like the idea of people rubbernecking on his 
<laughs> broken body on the floor. Yeah. But, uh, it doesn't feel like this typical fleeting teenage or oh, might as well kill myself thought. It feels something a bit there's a bit more something a bit more solid to it because he is genuinely very very down and depressed, isn't it? That yeah, absolutely. Uh, chapter fifteen, and he he calls up this uh, girl called Sally, who apparently is this on and off date. Uh, this girl he's been kind of seeing, which mm. <laughs> we've got to chapter fifteen without a mention of her, so he's obviously not that into her. <laughs> and uh, he's just sort of doing things on a bit of a wing and a prayer at the moment, isn't he? Uh, losing money all the time, and uh, he he agrees to to meet up with her later in the day. Yeah, what did you make of this sudden turn of events? Um, maybe he thinks he's got a better chance of having sex and fulfilling what he's supposed to do as a man with a certain amount of the integrity that he's also unable to get away from if he goes and tries to date a girl that he knows rather than a prostitute. Mm. Um, yeah. But he is also, I think we've seen this, he's very given to sort of random and impulsive acts. Um, you mm. know, he just he seems to lack that last filter, you know? Um, yeah. uh, where, you know, you have a crazy idea and then it stays on the inside of your head. Instead, he's like, I have a crazy idea and I've already made the call. Mm. Um, and it's, yeah, I, I don't know. It could be interesting, you know? It could be that he, t- <laughs> could be that he finds a place of deep... You know, peace and contentment in a loving relationship as a result of this date, and that he really kind of balances himself out. But <laughs> I'm not confident. <laughs> he also thinks about this old roommate called, I think it's Dick Slagle or Slagle. And um, that's a porn yeah, star name. Great, if ever I heard one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but it, it's interesting this because um, they you get the feeling that he 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 quite liked this guy, and they seem to get on quite well. But there was a massive difference in wealth. Holden was much richer than him. Mm. And after a while, it kind of got in the way without them wanting it to. Mm. And it seems like this guy it had a bit of a problem with it and kept mentioning it kind of as a joke, but not yeah. really. And yeah. increasingly, it became an issue. Mm. And it's it's quite interesting what that's taught Holden about whether you can really relate to people across certain um classes if you like I, yeah, mean, I yeah. thought it was quite an interesting thought and idea I agree with that and I think um, that kind of ties to what you were saying before about the, the ducks and privilege um, mm. by the way great sentence is that the title of this episode do you think ducks, <laughs> ducks <laughs> and privilege, privilege. <laughs> um, Pride and Prejudice the sequel um, uh, yeah no I think it is really interesting where he kind of goes with this because I think this is one of the things which if you unless you're raised in that kind of privilege and you literally live your entire life in the places and environments created for people with that level of privilege. At some mm. point, you are going to have to confront the um, you know, the reality of the fact that what's normal to you isn't normal to other people and might even alienate you from other people. Mm. And, um, and to a certain extent, there's a bit of me which quite likes that Holden's on this journey because I think that's that's necessary. I think everybody needs to address that. It's just not clear mm-hmm. that everybody does. And kind mm-hmm. of um, and and I you know I think it's a it's a you know just from a human perspective it's a it's a huge task and it's really difficult. But I think it's incredibly important to do and to crack into mm-hmm. that when you're in your late teens, whether you mean to or not. I think is quite almost heroic. I suppose, or like at least thinking about those questions. Yeah, and I suppose it, it it's also it doesn't have to be people born into that into money either. It, money can come between people in the same way. For example, if if you if 
there's a group of friends who've grown up together and a couple of them get jobs that pay far far more than everybody else mm. it, it can suddenly it can slowly chip away at the friendship because you start to lose touch with what each other's lives are like and you know just simple things like going for a night out suddenly two of the two of the group of friends want to spend 150 quid on the night because that's what they do yeah and you have to have a certain level of sense of sensitivity to the fact that everybody else can't do that yeah but then um even if you do and everybody else doesn't then the other people start feeling guilty because they feel that they're forcing you to yeah. slum it for a night you know and it, 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 it's, so it's a buzzkill you know it, yeah it, it, it takes away from that kind of relational kind of honesty yeah mm. yeah 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 um i can definitely see how that would happen yeah and it, it's funny i think it might have touched on just some fundamental problem with what society is like um this sort of modern society is like uh, yeah particularly when it comes to money yeah it, that that it can create divisions between people as well as uh, whatever yeah. benefits uh, yeah. stick it, sticking with that kind of uh, theme he meets these nuns who are just collecting for charity and uh, I'm not sure if it's in this chapter or the next but he compares them to his, his family and his aunts and he, <laughs> he thinks that they're, they're all together a better, a better people because they're going out of the way to do that mm. and collect money for you know spend, give up their time to collect money for charity and he thinks couple of his members of his family with all the sort of inherited privilege wouldn't dream of doing that yeah yeah <laughs> and it's uh it's, it's quite interesting again he's trying to he's, he's trying to connect with some things outside his own typical experience isn't he yeah 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 and again actually that's something that makes it easier for me to kind of relate to him because he's no longer a, he's no longer a book that's supposed to be about all teenagers it's a story about one privileged teenager dealing with his privilege which is actually a really mm. like a good story and i like hearing it um, and it, mm. and even better for being a story about that, which doesn't involve like getting on a plane to India, for example. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. He's doing it in New on York. A journey of self-discovery. Exactly. Yeah. It's not Eat, Pray, Love, starring a 1950s teenager with an impeccable side pie. <laughs> you know, it's much better than that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Put that on the cover. Damning with faint praise, if ever I heard it. Better than Eat, Pray, Love. <laughs> Uh, he oh he, he he has this chat with one of the nuns about Romeo and Juliet. He thinks it's quite interesting that she's a nun, but she's still interested in a love story. Um, but also the thing I liked yeah. about his conversation about Romeo and Juliet is that he's a big Mercutio fan, who's the <laughs> he's the sort of hothead. If you haven't read Romeo and Juliet, he, he's he's this sort of spoilers hothead character. Yeah, who's um, <laughs> I'm not going to go in a great deal further into it. But, uh, <laughs> It, it's funny because he's the character. It's very, it's very typical for a teenage boy to relate to Mercutio. He's the, especially at this time, mm. he is the sort of um, the person that you'd imagine teenage boys growing up at this time would admire. And mm. I think I remember when I when I read it uh, when I was a teenager, I really liked Mercutio. It's got, it, it, it all works because he's there's the masculinity and there's the tragedy and the, you know. And there's this sort of raw honesty of him as well, yeah. isn't there? Yeah, 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 very much. Very much, you're right. And I, I do like that he went off into it. Like, I like that in this character there's no boundary between talking about Romeo and Juliet, talking about charity and privilege, and mm. having almost just slept with a prostitute. Like, you know, that, <laughs> it's a 12-hour period covers all of those experiences and eight hours of sleep. 
Um, yeah. I just I, it's really really cool. I tell you what I also liked about his interaction with the nuns was that he gives them ten dollars. So he said about four times in the chapters before this, you know, I didn't have very much money left. I was a bit worried about the money. Um, hmm. and uh, and then he then he meets these nuns and without thinking twice, he's like, there you go, have ten dollars. Um, twice hmm. as much significantly as he was willing to give the prostitute. Um, mm. and, uh, and I just, again, I thought that was a really interesting little kind of window. I still think he's madder than a bag of spanners, by the way. Like, he's <laughs> just, like, there's just something, the way he makes his decisions and, like, barrels through the world like a pinball with gasoline on it. It's just unbelievable. But, but it, I did, uh, but it's kind of, it's slightly more endearing to me at this point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other thing that he, he thinks about in this chapter is, uh, Again, he thinks a bit about religion again, as far as Catholicism and how he lived with this. People are always asking if he's a Catholic because he's got an Irish name. And um, oh, right, yeah. he met, he remembers this conversation with this guy who was Catholic. He was trying to find out if he was Catholic as well. And he says they had this conversation about tennis and, the, and you could tell that the other guy was really enjoying it. But he'd have probably enjoyed it more if Oldham was a Catholic, <laughs> and it is it, really funny. And it, he, um, but Holden re- he really hates any anything like that, which creates division. In the same way that we, that we just had that conversation about money, he doesn't mm. like the idea that things like that can come between people when you don't really have any control over them. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, actually, I was really interested with this religion kind of kick in that, like. So I, I didn't grow up in, in Catholicism, but I grew up in another wing of Christianity, in Protestant evangelicalism. And um, and there's a similar thing that goes on there. Like, there's a kind of conversation that takes place. Maybe it's not so much I'd enjoy the conversation more if you were the same kind of particular bit of the faith as me. But mm-hmm. um, But there's definitely a kind of like... How comfortable am I allowed to be with you? And it's, it doesn't happen much in the UK, but in the US it happens a lot where people mm. are like kind of really, really keen to be in their little tribe. And mm. and I, I to be honest with you, I, I find it quite I find it quite sad and I find it quite funny. because um, a lot of people kind of go through life not really knowing how good the conversations are that they're having and how how at peace they're allowed to be about this sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So th- that whole passage, I re- I laughed out loud at because I was like, yeah, people still do that. <laughs> Change yeah. everything in the world. New York gets more violent. Everything changes. But but still, still in this world, once you're part of a club, you really want to desperately find out if other people are part of the same club. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't say that's just limited to religion either because you could look at things like what music pe- uh, people say they're into or a better one's probably what football team you support. And I've met, oh, people, yeah. who genu- who, I've, I've met people who will genuinely dislike you for the football team you do or don't support. Yeah. Um, and it makes a big difference whether you support the same team as them. And you're right, again, it's it's the same thing, yeah. um, albeit slightly, in a slightly different way. Uh, it's that, are you the same as me? And, yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm and immediately going to like you more, yeah. Yeah, it's or the less. instinct of tribalism, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, more or less. Mm. Like, I'm kind of, I'm looking for, it's like I can't deal with everybody in the world, so I'm going to set up a few arbitrary rules and then only bother mm. interacting with the people who kind of fall within those. Although I think the the religion football thing, I think you're, you're right, that's a closer distinction, in certainly in the UK, than it is in most places. But... Um, people are a, a lot less willing to ask what religion you are 
a lot more willing to ask what a football team you are. So there's a much more when it comes to religion, yeah. it's much more kind of ducking and diving and weaving and kind of hints here and yeah. there and like little shibboleths and pass phrases and all of this sort of thing. Um, whereas with football, yeah. it's just like, uh, yeah, I'm a Liverpool fan, deal with it. You know, <laughs> it's, it's less kind yeah. of... Yeah, in, in, the same, in the same way here, when um, the, the guy's trying to find out if he's Catholic and he says, oh, have, you, have you happened to notice where the Catholic church is around here? <laughs> yeah, and what he's hoping for is, oh, absolutely, and Father Charlie's a great guy, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Rather than, oh, no, sorry, no, I haven't. You know, and the yeah. silence blooms in which everybody assumes everything and, and an otherwise <laughs> beautiful friendship goes to the dogs. <laughs> uh, right, chapter 16, uh, Holden leaves the, uh, the nuns, goes for a walk. He, he bumps into this child, uh, which is uh, the child singing about uh, the catcher in the rye, hey, which, considering the title of the book, yeah, might be relevant. Yeah. Uh, let's see if we can get the actual... The actual words, if a body catch a body coming through the rye, is the uh, is the song lyric. I've never heard it before. Have you heard that song? Um, no, but I googled it, and as it turns out, um, it's from a Robbie Burns poem. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. but but I, think I, I still think it says that actually. Oh oh, does it? All oh, right, okay. Maybe I didn't Google it. No, I did Google it. I'm sure. No, 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 no. no um, maybe I was wrong. I forget that. I've got I've got the. I'll, I'll I'm bringing up the text for a second. But, hmm. but, well, what did you make of this first? Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have given it a second thought if it wasn't for the fact that the book's called The Catcher in the Rye. Um, yeah, me too. And the thing is that even after I've seen that there's a poem called Coming Through the Rye and the thing's called The Catcher in the Rye, I'm still none the wiser. This is one of the things yeah. which irritated me about the book when I first read it and still irritates me now. I'm like kind of, <laughs> all right then. What's it, what, JD? Right then, JD, how about a little bit more exposition on this thing which you think is important enough to name your, name your book after? You know, like, why, mm. why this song? Like, why this thing? Also, isn't there something a little bit weird? about The lyric is, if a body catch a body coming through the rye. Am I the only one thinking mm. of zombies here? You know, not a person, <laughs> not someone. If a zombies body meet... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> zombies in the... It's happening, Matt. You wait for it. The Catcher in the Rye with Zombies is the next adaptation coming from the literary geniuses that brought you Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and Ninjas and Dumb and Dumber and Pirates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it is funny because there's no... Um, you think, you see this line, you think, ah, relates to the title. I wonder what it's about. And it's just left. And it... it um, it is explained later on, but um, this is this is sort of just setting the uh, setting it up for later. And I think the problem is because the book's called The Catcher in the Rye, it, you immediately think as you read the line, "We're going to find out something here," and you don't. Yeah. So yeah, I suppose there is a problem with that. And I think it, it is more to do with the fact that he's just called the book what he's called it. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah. Um, he uh, nearly calls Jane and then um, doesn't. Because uh, I think is is this the bit where her mum or dad answers and he yeah. sort of chickens out. Yeah. And it, another moment for the romantic ages. Nearly calls Jane, <laughs> doesn't. That's what they should have called the book. Nearly calls Jane, <laughs> doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, he goes. He actually, he actually goes over to the park, looking for his little sister Phoebe, who he knows often goes to the park. 
because um, he he just wants to meet her, uh, just wants to see her. Uh, again, he's just looking for a friendly face, isn't he? Really. Um, mm. He bumps into another child who he like he does up the kids. Uh, I think it's roller skates or ice skates, like the laces on them, hmm. and um, and the the child's really polite. And he, you get the feeling he really likes children because of this sort of honesty mm. that they have. And I thought that was interesting because the stuffy thing he hates about a lot of people is the the fakeness and the mm. and the sort of manners and the saying something but you don't really mean it and you're expecting people you're saying something to make people think a certain thing about you because you're expected to do it. Yeah. And he hates all that. And mm. the thing he loves about children is there's none of it. They just say yeah. what they think. Yeah, yeah, very much. Um, yeah, and and again, there's this kind of adolescence, you know, sympathy with childhood, but you know, so you know, both, you know, songs of both innocence and experience is what mm. kind of he's he's kind of drawing on here, I think. And yeah, I mean, it is quite sad. I think, I think, to be honest with you, probably a lot of people have that sort of perspective in them and perhaps even a book like this in them at that age but nobody knows how to write it and mm. um uh, jd salinger actually basically his whole writing career such as it was was all writing about teenagers because i think he clearly experienced something at that age that he just kept having to work out um mm. yeah so he yeah and, he, and the fact is i think he captures it quite well yeah uh, holder decides to go for a walk around the museum then uh, next, he actually doesn't do it in the end. He gets as far as the steps and just decides not to, which again is just this impulsiveness about him, I suppose. Classic Caulfield. Um, <laughs> Can you imagine living with this guy? I'm I'm frustrated by it, and I don't even have to deal with him on a day to day basis. Imagine being related to him. Are we going out then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's all get in the car. Where's Holden? I don't fucking know, do I? He could be out the back, could be juggling puppies. Could have decided he wants to walk to the moon. Could be digging the deepest hole in North America. I haven't got a fucking clue. Let's just go to the zoo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You never know what's happening next. Yeah. Um, he, he, and he's definitely he not say, endearing. Yeah. He does say something interesting about museums, which I quite liked. Was he? He says, you know, you, you only see the same. It's the same exhibitions every time, almost. You know, most of the stuff. And uh, once you've seen it all once, you'd think, you know, you've seen it all. So why would you go twice? But he says the interesting thing is that even though all the exhibitions stay the same, you're different every time you go in. Um, some, e- even as little as you're wearing something different, but also you're a different person than you were the last time you looked at it. And, and different things mean different things to you. Um, uh, each time, yes. I thought that was yeah. really insightful. It's the same way people reread books, isn't it, or redo anything like that? Uh, yeah. Not so much because they're expecting a different, anything different from what they've read, but you may feel something different because you, because you've changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I, and like, as we know, like we've studied history, so anything that's about how how great museums are, I think we're both going to be like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> history, motherfuckers, it's for real. Um, but I, I agree with you completely. I really loved that, and I think that's that'll probably... I'd never thought of it that way, and that will probably change the way I approach uh, museums in the future. Hmm. Um, Hold, it's, it's nearly time for Holden to meet up with Sally now, so he goes uh, back to the... Uh, I think they're going to the theatre, aren't they? Uh, mm. And he goes, he goes to sort of to the meeting place, and there's all these other girls waiting for their dates, 
um, and Sully's not there yet and he f- he feels quite sad looking at all these young women because mm. he thinks about how, ma- how many of them are going to end up with boring or horrible <laughs> blokes <laughs> oh man and is, the, is this the flip side of the privilege that he's feeling is this just him being like you're all going to end up with wankers and you could all end up with me me and my depthless experience and importance and magnificence me white North American male you know is that, is that kind of what he's drawing on here or am I reading into it a bit too much Although he, he does check himself slightly with it, he thinks that some of these horrible, boring blokes might have some kind of hidden talents, because there was this one guy he met who he thought was a terrible, boring loser, and I think he was a really good whistler, it turned out. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, so you never can tell with people. <laughs> that's amazing. And I love that's what makes him entertaining. These days, it would be like kind of, oh, he turned out to be really funny, <laughs> or he was really good at football. Like, But whistling just seems like such an innocent kind of selfless thing to genuinely like somebody for you know oh he was just whistling that's he was a great whistler so you never can tell some people are great for whistling (laughs) somehow (laughs) yeah that's true um so sally turns up and as soon as he sees her he he says he feels like marrying her just because i think it's partly (laughs) because he's just so relieved to see somebody that he actually likes yeah (laughs) that's quite funny Mm-hmm. And uh, he also says, uh, is, "Is this quite a nice line? Let me just have a look." Uh, oh yeah, yeah. He says, he, "Yeah." He says, so he says, "There's all this stuff about on TV uh, when you see like two people meeting up and the when the girl's late, the bloke's always looking really angry." And he says, "That's that's bollocks." He says, "If it's a, if a girl looks swell when she meets you, who gives a damn if she's late? Nobody." Um, <laughs> and I think this is an interesting uh, thought to have, considering what he what he considers a bit later on, which we'll get to. Um, mm. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's quite funny. And um, yeah, he basically says she looks so good that doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, they they go to this play. He thinks it's rubbish. <laughs> Surprisingly, and he's got to sit through it. And uh, at the at the interval. Uh, they meet Sally meets up with this guy called George Phony George as he's known Phony George and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing that sounds like a sort of sort of like a he's a jazz singer from like the 50s isn't it <laughs> I'm Phony George yeah. you know like a really deep voiced kind of guy yeah so, so they're both they're both standing together Holden and Sally and uh, Sally catches the eye of this bloke across the room who she knows and um, and she starts talking about him straight away, and, and Holden's immediately sort of going, "Oh God, here we go!" And he comes <laughs> over, and Holden's like, "Oh no, he's coming over!" <laughs> and then there's this massive conversation between the two, and Holden's suddenly this spare wheel, isn't he? And yeah. he's thinking, "Oh, what, what what am I supposed to do?" Yeah. And I felt quite sorry for him because he's really being sort of Cop-locked. used until Sally sees someone better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's true. He's not so yeah. much cop locked as being totally discarded. Although you have to call in phony, phony George. You know, <laughs> mate, it's not playing the game. It's not playing the game. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I felt quite sorry for him really. And there's a there's a there's kind of a sense in this, isn't it, where he's kind of after the after the thing with the prostitute and kind of he's looking for integrity in himself, mm. and so decides to go looking for the kind of love he's looking for with somebody who he might have a chance. He feels like he's more likely he'll find it with kind of somebody closer to home. But he finds mm. just as much insincerity in her mm. as he finds in um, 
in Morris the pimp. Yeah. Um, yeah. They after this, um, they go ice skating, and it's quite funny that um, they uh, he says that S- Sally looks great ice skating. Um, she gets to wear this little short skirt for a start. Um, yeah. But at the same time, they both absolutely crap at it. <laughs> These two people who look great, but they're rubbish at it. That's <laughs> quite funny. Yeah, that's quite pleasing as well, isn't it? Because you've seen, you've seen, you've seen the people out, kind of, you know, all the kit, no clue, and it just <laughs> is quite pleasing the idea of somebody looking absolutely the business and being totally crap at something. Yeah, uh, they go to this cafe to have a bit of a break. And uh, I love this. They sit in it. They sit down at this cafe, order some drinks, and Holden just sits there and starts burning matches and, lo- and watching them burn. <laughs> <laughs> it's the behaviour of a maniac, <laughs> a pyromaniac. <laughs> I just, it was a great image, though, wasn't it? He's just so bored with whatever situation that he's just kind of like. You know, we see him striking a match, watching it burn. <sighs> like, just these flames are more interesting than any of you people. It's like performance art. Performance art as mm. conceived of by a 19 year old, 17 year old. Yeah. Well, do you know what's really funny? Um, so, have you ever seen Breaking Bad? Oh, spoilers. No, I've seen the first like four episodes of it. Okay, well, it might be in the, in one of the first episodes. It's about, if you haven't seen it, it's about this guy, um, this chemistry teacher who's unhappy with his life for various reasons and starts cooking uh, crystal meth and selling it. It's not really much of a spoiler because it happens straight away. Um, but there's this point where he's sitting by the pool, by his pool in, in his house, this bloke, and he's sitting burning matches and watching them burn down and he's thinking about how he's unhappy with his life and how uh, there's various things all wrapped up in it but that's part of it uh, I just thought it's interesting that it's exactly the same thing I just wondered if maybe uh, the the writers of that drew on Catcher in the Rye because it's, it's obviously exactly the same scene it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest actually there's a there was a I, I haven't seen this episode, I haven't seen anywhere close to it, but I know that they used the poem Ozymandias in one of the last episodes, didn't they? So they're clearly mm, a very yeah, literate writer's room. Um, and it mm. wouldn't surprise me at all if they were drawing on it. And fair play to them. You know, the more crossover there is between books, TV and film, I think the richer everybody gets. Yeah. And Holden goes from this burning matches, thinking about how crap things are, to just suddenly deciding, let's just go away, let's just run away. And he says to his, he says to Sally... Let's just run away, you know. Let's. Uh, yeah. I'll try and find a job somewhere. Let's just get away from it all. And mm. she is the sort of cool head here, saying, "Oh, oh, but well, it's one of two things, depending on your point of view. She's either the cool head, or she's the one who is too trapped in her in her own sort of system to be able to see that you can do that." I'm not sure which one is is more because she she's very uh. aware of the sacrifices that you'd have to make to leave. And yeah. she's saying, no, he can't do it. Yeah. And uh, Holden, yeah. <laughs> Holden can't get this. Oh, that's true. And I think I think it's really interesting seeing this without the blinkers of 50 years of, like, um, kind of, of fiction, particularly teen fiction, that's established, like, these tropes of, like, oh, you know, let somebody down gently, or the crazy guy who doesn't really understand boundaries and says, let's run away together. And, and it just doesn't, the way this whole scene plays out is does not play into you know she doesn't just kind of go 
you know, it's not played as the kind of like, oh, the beautiful cheerleader rejected me. Mm. And 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 for him, it's not played like you know he's a total psycho and and he's just doesn't have any idea of what's safe. Mm-hmm. Again, it just feels more it feels more innocent mm. than basically every other interaction between a teenage boy and a teenage girl in fiction that I'm used to coming across. Kind of after yeah. this, um, and I quite liked it. Tell you what was interesting as well is that he's this is almost like he kind of he like double or quits. Like he's kind of he's gone from feeling this need for connection so bad that he he's like oh yeah prostitute definitely, um, and mm. then kind of screwing that up and, and looking for integrity somewhere else, coming closer to home and asking her out, and then having her go for phony George, and then and it's almost like him going yeah but I really need this um, this sense of intimacy with integrity so i'm just gonna i'm gonna double my bet you know how about mm-hmm. rather than just going out on a date with me to the theater where i can't even get you to stay interested in me why don't we go and live in massachusetts and i'll go and get a job somewhere and we'll drive through the mountains and it'll be great um mm. and uh yeah also not many years after this there's no way anybody would have said let's go to massachusetts when they could have said let's go to california <laughs> again it's just really of its time isn't it it's really 19 early 1950s yeah uh, when she when she says no, I can't do this for all these various reasons, he gets more and more frustrated, and in the end, he says, "Come on, let's get out of here. You give me a royal pain in the ass if you want to know the truth." <laughs> his next lie, his, ne- his next lie is brilliant. He goes, "Boy, did she hit the ceiling when I said that." <laughs> <laughs> now there is a good use of a voiceover. <laughs> just just spin away from it not her eyes went wide she went crazy just pull back a bit and go I don't need to tell you exactly how she hit the roof nor do I need to tell you why I walk with a limp on cold days let's just say she hit the roof <laughs> I thought that was great because it's those classic things where if, if you ever had it if you have an argument with say a girlfriend and um, and it's getting heated and then you say something and immediately you realise that that was too, <laughs> that was too far and she just got really angry. <laughs> You've lit the touch paper, and you're in serious, serious trouble. Because he then starts trying to apologise, doesn't he? Because he immediately realises <laughs> that this that this is bad news. <laughs> I love that. You can almost see him going, "Oh shit! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry." The world is ending. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was very. I thought it was very funny. But that that was one of those points where I laughed out loud when I was reading it. Um, yeah, chapter eighteen. We're back, uh, basically, he they don't part on great terms, but not. I mean, they still say that they got to meet up again, uh, Holden and Sally. But mm. uh, it's funny because Holden says, like you, like you alluded to, Holden says in the moment he really wanted her to come with him, but mm. uh, taking a step back, he actually probably would have wanted, to, wouldn't have wanted to have her there, and. Um, and he, again, he's trying to just work out this conflict in, inside him, isn't it? And again, I think it's this difference between what he thinks might be a good idea and what he actually wants. Um, yeah, chapter 18, we're back to these thoughts of Jane again. Uh, blah, blah, blah. It, 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 it's, it's funny because he, he can't let it go, can he? He keeps going back. Everything everything he, do, he does something to take his mind off things, which more often than not, he's take his mind off Jane. Yeah, and then he keeps. Whenever he stops doing something, he goes back to this, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's clearly got it bad for this girl, and again, I kind of i i 
there's just something about the structure of the book which means I'm not really connecting with his angst here. Like his whole like he's clearly mm. really preoccupied with it, but I'm just not feeling it. I don't really understand it. I just kind of know it by what I'm being shown. But I'm not mm. actually kind of experiencing this whatever's going on in his head. But I suppose maybe I'm not supposed to. Mm. You know, he's not sure what he's experiencing in his head. That's why it's that's why he's acting so weird. That's why he's pinging about the place. Yeah. He's um He's thinking about. He has this little monologue now about about, about girls and how there was this. Uh, there were these two examples he gives of guys who. Uh, there's this one guy who was quite nice but fairly ugly and poor, and no matter what this guy did, uh, all the all the girls found reasons to dislike him. At the same time, there was this muscly, rich bloke who always used to spend loads of time diving off a diving board, yeah. and he was really thick and uh, insensitive. But um, this this girl kept finding a reason to like him, yeah. and he says it's you know it, it it all just matters about how you look. And I thought it was quite interesting considering. Um, what he thought about Sally when she turned up late and it didn't matter if she turned up late because she looked great and it's just this realisation that that is quite important um, especially to a lot of people is mm. is looks yeah 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 and and wealth obviously he, he ties that to it as well yeah and again it's about integrity isn't it like he's he, he looks at what everybody else values and he's like well this is you can't it's almost like he's kind of going, if he was a slightly more humorous character, he'd be like, yeah, but come on, seriously. Like, you can't possibly... Are you shitting me? You can't possibly be just into that, can you? What? Seriously? <laughs> it's just absolutely incredulous at, like, the way that the world seems to value things. You know, he's hit adulthood and discovered that the world is full of people who really don't make good decisions at all, no matter how old they are. Yeah. He goes to see a film, and I think this is... This is Holden's calling in life. He should have been a film critic because his <laughs> review of this film, which he hates, is uh, one of the lines I liked was, it was so putrid I couldn't take my eyes off it, which is one for the film poster. Oh, absolutely. And uh, and this, the second one is, don't see it if you don't want to puke all over yourself. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing like reading a really, really bad movie review, is there, to put you in a good mood? <laughs> Absolutely <Yeah>. fantastic. <laughs> he's definitely got a future in that business. It's such a shame that he thinks his brother's a prostitute for having gone out and worked in Hollywood. Because you're right, it's sure. definitely his calling. Don't watch it if you want to be happy. If you like good films, don't come here. If you like bad films, it's for you. <laughs> It was so putrid, I couldn't take my eyes off it. <laughs> one star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's the, the king of the one-liner review. It's like um, Roger Ebert once uh, once reviewed... Um, do you remember North? It was a film featuring Bruce Willis as, a, as a, an imaginary bunny rabbit. Um, it, ex- it exists. It exists, Matt. And let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Roger Ebert's review was just, I hated this movie. Hated, hated, hated this movie. Hated every <laughs> putrid, audience-insulting, insipid second of it. Zero stars. <laughs> absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. 
I'm seeking that one out. You've got a, honestly, um, and I'm not kidding. That's not me being colourful. Bruce Willis in a pink bunny rabbit outfit. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's move on. Uh, ch- chapter nineteen, and Holding goes to the uh, the Wicker Bar uh, to meet up. I mean, in the very loosest sense of the word, you could, c- could call him a friend. This guy called Loose, mm. uh, who he was sort of the older in one of Holden's old schools. He was the sort of older figure in the in the group, and he used to sort of hold the younger lads in in rapture with these talks about sex because he knew all about it, and he seems to have this particular talent for revealing who was a flit or who was gay. Um, in the world of fame and yeah. uh, and celebrity, uh, what did you make of this loose yeah. guy? Um, I thought it was a bit weird. First of all, actually, my first reaction was J.D. Salinger is fucking lucky that the particular word here used to dismissively refer to gay people has long <laughs> since fallen out of usage and is therefore cannot be considered a slur because otherwise this book would be out of print by now. Um, secondly. <laughs> Um, I thought it was a bit weird the way he just sort of turned up, was really bored, and then left again. Like, mm. what's he doing? Coming out for a drink just in order to, just in order to be dismissive and then leave again? Like, just if you get, if you know you're going to do that, don't meet somebody for a drink. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I I think he turns up just to lord it over him, and I think this this guy loose likes attention from from minions, oh. and he feels like he just likes he loose. This guy's just turned up to make himself feel superior to hold him. Um, Jeez, and he just uh, does it. Does it? Surely you must recognise how shallow a human being you are if you you're willing to cut short your evening's plans and travel across town to have a drink with somebody that you're then studiously not going to look at. That's like that's the height <laughs> of pathetically self-important behaviour, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. I really didn't like this guy, <laughs> and, and this is, and it's also quite funny how I mean Holden is. It, is an absolute whirlwind in this uh, in this passage, isn't he? Because he's uh, he's full of like he's intensely interested in in what Luce's experiences that Luce can share with him. Mm. Um, he's incredibly energetic with it, but he's also at the same time really insulting because he obviously doesn't like him, and he's firing <laughs> off these questions like a scattergun every every other second. He's firing another question at him. With no um, hint of sort of talking around it or being subtle, he just asks question, 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 insult, question, insult, question, insult. <laughs> now there again, another great title for the book: question, 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 insult, question, insult, question, question, insult. Would have been great. <laughs> and the great thing is, as well, Luce's reaction to it makes it clear that this is what Holden's always like with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and again, so so what I suppose what we have here really is a scene that takes place between two people who are wankers getting together in order to confirm themselves in their superiority as set against <laughs> another wanker. That's clarity of thought, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I think that's harsh and holding because I think I quite like him in this because at least he's no bullshit with her. <laughs> it's two opposite yeah. sides, isn't it? There's yeah. there's the loose guy being superficially nice but mm. all the time there's this obvious overlaying of superiority and general twattishness and this <laughs> just just 
just being Holden, just asking a load of questions because he wants the answers and yeah. insulting him because he does he just wants to make it clear he doesn't like him as well, but also yeah. trying to keep him there. Um, and also, there's this sense again with Holden, he's just really lonely because no matter how like how much of a prick this guy is, yeah, Holden wants to keep and how much he's he hates him so much that he keeps insulting him, he wants to keep him there because at least there's somebody to talk to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's definitely Holden is very lonely at this point. I think this is clear. <laughs> yes, it is true. It is, it is true. It is known. <laughs> it is known. Uh, chapter twenty, uh, and Holden just after after Luce leaves him, uh, Holden just sits at the bar and just gets really really drunk, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he starts pretending that he's been shot again and is the only person at the bar who knows. Um, yeah, and then he he, make, he makes this drunken phone call. He thinks about <laughs> calling Jane, and then calls Sally instead. And uh, <laughs> what did you make of this? Classic. Oh, do you know what? There's just God help me. There is something funny about stereotypical drunk behaviour. It is funny <laughs> in its essence, and he is. Oh, he's just he's picture perfect. Hey, hello, who's that? Yeah, go and get her. <laughs> No, I've got to talk to her. Go and get her. Go you, I wanna. <laughs> no, I like you. You're my best mate. You are. Can you go and get the... Who are you? Like, it's just <laughs> absolutely fantastic drunken wanker behaviour. And, 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 again, I'm really interested. Was this just an era of greater civility? Because I think if somebody called my house... Hey, kid, somebody called my house looking for my daughter at whatever time it is, 11 at night or whatever. Mm. Um... And was clearly drunk. I'd just be like, "Yeah, fuck off," and hang up. Yeah. Rather than, <laughs> yeah, you know. But I, I yeah, and also yeah. there's something interesting here, isn't there, about the fact that the drunk dial has been with us since at least 1951. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love you. Yeah. I suppose that if this was the modern retelling, he'd be sending those garbled text messages now, wouldn't he? Really, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <of> night. <laughs> <laughs> you know the ones with like letters in strange places everywhere but you can still just about decipher what it is I ate um <laughs> always uh yes at uh, home <laughs> definitely nice time bye not 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 of course that I've sent or received many or any of those texts in my life no no <laughs> uh, he, he then retires to the bathroom um, he stands in there for a while just sort of just chilling. Had a lack of anything else to do yeah uh, sitting on the radiator and keeping warm and this bloke comes in who I think is the pianist and there's been a singer on and uh, Holden says to him oh you're going to see that singer when you go back outside and the guy sort of goes it's highly probable and Holden's like oh what another wank I'm surrounded <laughs> by wankers yeah, there is also there was at that point it was almost like Job wasn't it in the bible just like how much more of this another wanker <laughs> yeah um, but it's funny that on, on his way out he goes to the coat room and he doesn't have his ticket for his coat anymore but the girl gets it him anyway and and she's quite nice to him and uh, he immediately asks her out mm. uh, when she sort of turns him down, but lets him down gently. And it's funny because um, I like these co- kind of characters because it shows that there are a few nice people knocking around as well, and yeah. he realises it. 
Yeah. So, and that suggests that it isn't just all sort of his projection on the world and every, he hates everybody mm. and he's horrible to everybody because he thinks they all hate him. There are some people who seem okay, mm. but it's just all the sort of, all the fake and phony people that he, he just can't stand. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And while that's that's good for him as a rounded character, it does also, if those words were to be found in his mouth that way, it would be a statement of kind of like, no, it's, it's not that I'm misanthropic, it's that everybody around me happens to be a twat. Somewhere else <laughs> in the world, there's loads of people who are just great. Just none of them are here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he leaves the, he leaves the bar... He goes for a walk in the park in the middle of the night, again, different world. And um, oh, he drops this record. He bought a record for Phoebe, which he knew she really liked, and he thought it would be a nice surprise for her. Um, again, another little touch of him being mm. quite a nice guy. And he drops it, and he's devastated about that. Uh, yeah, yeah. He goes to his duck lake and goes for a little walk around it. And... Uh, it's just this casual bit where he nearly falls in a couple of times <laughs> and he's that drunk he probably won't be able to get out and again yeah. it's just this sort of a time before health and safety yeah 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 <laughs> Cas- casually nearly died and then yeah. carries on <laughs> you can imagine the headline can't you moron falls into lake no no action necessary <laughs> yeah and he, sit- he sits on the park bench thinking about thinking about death basically and that he might freeze here, and that he feels mm. really upset and depressed. And what what do we all do when we're feeling a bit down? We decide to go home. So he decides that he's going to sneak home and see Phoebe, his little sister. He obviously doesn't want to see his mum and dad yet, because they'd wonder why on earth he's been expelled from school. Yeah. Um, so he's going to try and sneak in and just see his sister. Because, again, it's mm. just somebody to see and speak to. Hmm. What do you think about this sudden, again, impulsive decision? Um, I th- I think this is this is on the timeline of his reaching for integrity. He seems to think very highly of his little sister, and and yeah. you know he's kind of continually failing to kind of experience the kind of connection he's after. And it's clear that in his head, Phoebe is the person you know with whom he's experienced this kind of connection. So he's he's going looking for that. Mm. I think it's really stupid. Like, can you imagine sneaking back to your house in order to see one of your <laughs> siblings and genuinely expecting that your parents wouldn't find you? Like, as a teenager, no, I'm just going in to talk to my brother. No, 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 they won't hear me for some reason. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, we shall see if his mission is successful uh, when we come to read the third and final part of The Catcher in the Rye next week, if you're reading along with us, you it's very simple this week. You read from chapter 21, where we're up to, right through to the end. And uh, next week we'll be doing the last bit of The Catcher in the Rye. We'll also be uh, getting a few reviews in. If you want to send your own review of the book in to us, uh, it's <laughs> sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com. Sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at sharkliveroyal. Dave will be doing his own review, so <laughs> buckle up for that. Excellent. <laughs> Shit, I'd better prepare something now. I can't just talk <laughs> off the cuff now you've big me up like that. Deary me. <laughs> and yeah, we, we will see. We will see how we go. I won't ask you your thoughts just at the moment in general. We'll save that to the end. But I get the feeling you're warming slightly to it. 
if not to the level where you think it's a great book. But we shall see. Next no, time. I, st- I still don't understand why everybody says that it's a work of genius. But like uh, reading it in this sort of depth has kind of allowed me to sort of see see Holden as a slightly kind of more well sketched character, and the themes as being a bit better developed. But I still think the prose is a fucking mess. <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell, <laughs> <in> the words <laughs> of <Patriots. laughs> I'll Enjoy see you next the week. Enjoy the rest of the book, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>